Trying to grab all the groceries in one trip? Oof, not how you would have done that. You know sometimes less is more. Like when you drive less and save with the USAA annual mileage discount. USAA. Get a quote today. Hi, this is Marissa Meyer. And this is Delaney. And this is Sloan. And you're listening to the Prince Kai Fan Pod. Hello, welcome to episode 88 of the Prince Kai Fan Pod, a Marissa Meyer Book Club podcast. This episode is brought to you by Rampy and Crew patron supporters. Thank you. Today's special guest is a Rampy and Crew patron supporter, Kristen. Kristen, do you want to take a minute and tell everybody a little bit about yourself and your journey with Marissa Meyer? I can definitely do that. Hey guys, um, so I've been reading Marissa and her wonderful, amazing books for a few years now, thanks to my best friend who got me introduced to her via Heartless and the amazing first page of that just got me because, you know, it describes food and I'm a foodaholic, (laughs) so I was right there immediately. It was great. And that's just about it for my um, intro to her. But then I saw Cinder in bookstores and I was just like, oh, this looks cool. It's got a cyborg foot. What's it about? (laughs) And so I started reading it and now I have the whole collection. Do you have a favorite book? Um... I'd say Winter is my favorite book just because it wraps everything up so well and it's beautiful and the cover art for every version that I've seen has been absolutely fantastic and it's just like that all the loose ends just come together type of a book and I'm just like yes this is perfection thank you so I really love Winter the most. How about a favorite character? Oh um there's we have to have a favorite character? <laughs> no, you don't. I just wondered if you did. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't have a favorite character. I'm kind of addicted to everybody. They're amazing. She wrote so well. She made it very hard to choose. Definitely. What are you currently reading at the moment? Um, I am finishing up a re-re-re-re-re-read through of everything Rick Riordan. So I am halfway through Heroes of Olympus. And um, I will be doing the Kane Chronicles after I finish up that one, which I'm super excited about because I love Sadie. She is definitely my aesthetic in everything. (laughs) That's how I feel about Chris. (laughs) (laughs) So... Today, we're going to talk about Crest Chapter 42. First, let's discuss some amazing fan art. Cosmic Nova Flare. This is from January 8th. Cosmic Nova Flare. I mean, you guys know I adore her because I constantly share her work, right? But this is very precious to me because I literally messaged her and said, Stars, why don't we have any beautiful fan art of Amory and she said I got you girl and so we have fan art of Sybil and Amory today I'm super excited I love it so much what did you think taking a look at these oh my goodness they were so pretty like I saw them and I was just like 
is that who I think it is? Oh my gosh, it's who I think it is. <gasps> Fangirl moment. And so I like ran into my cousin's room because she lives here with us. And I was just like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, look at this. And she was just like, what the crap are you talking about? Because she's never read the series, which is unfortunate. Oh. And so then I was just like, I want to send it to my bestie. I so wanted to send it to my bestie. And then I was just like, you know what? She'll see it later i'm gonna i'll hold off until after the episode oh my gosh does your bestie listen to the podcast i do not know if she listens to the podcast but i do know that she follows the um page on instagram okay so so she'll see it on there yeah but i really wanted fangirl so hard it's incredible i love it so much and i'm so happy to get it because i was trying desperately to find fan art of Amory and all I could find was the coloring book and I was like that doesn't count <laughs> that's just us coloring fan it art. <laughs> so yeah absolutely huge thank you and I love it so much I love the embroidery on the collars of their outfits I love that she stuck with red for Amory and white for Sybil to match their ranks um I love that they both look beautiful and terrifying as they are described in the book so it's just it's perfection And our next one is Scarlet. I had a theme here, you guys. Characters from this chapter. So this is Scarlet. She's kind of crouched in a coming at ya, pounce type of thing, I guess. Um, But I love it. She's wearing her hoodie. She looks like beautiful and thick and freckles. And her hair is curly and kind of looks windblown. And it's a beautiful like black and white. And um, I think it might even be pencil. It's hard to tell. Um, but this one is from L-I-E-K-E on Instagram, and it's amazing. What did you think of Scarlet in this one? I love the fact that she's got the beautiful curly hair. Like, Yes. I hate when people do like, oh, this is supposed to be curly, but it's like wavy and crap. Like, as a curly head chick, I am just like, representation. Yeah, I think for sure curly hair is difficult to draw, so I think that they did great. Yes. Because I've seen a lot of that too, where it's like kind of wavy curly. And I, I have curly hair, but I would say mine's more wavy curly than it is curly curly. So, yeah. I love her hoodie, of course. I love, I love her little boots. I definitely picture Scarlet as a boots type of girl. All the way. Just so kick butt. I love it. It is so kick butt. Absolutely. <laughs> So last week, Patreon members voted for chapter titles. Chapter 41 is Prisoner by Miley Cyrus. And chapter 40 is Staying Alive by the Bee Gees. Yes. And that's it, kids. Now we can do a chapter discussion. I've gotten so good at getting sidetracked. (laughs) Hope everyone's proud. (laughs) I think we all are. Yes. I feel so bad when it's like another podcaster because I'm like, oh, I know this is going to be long because we're going to talk about so many different things. So I'm sure on the days when people look at it and they're like, they see that like the housekeeping ends at minute eight, they're like, phew, don't even have to fast forward that much. Like, (laughs) so last week we left off, we were in the city of Farafra helping Cinder and her allies try to escape from the Eastern Commonwealth military. We're back with Scarlet. We last saw her, she had finally arrived on Luna with Sybil, 
and was given to one of the families. We didn't know what that meant, but now we find out she is the property, the temporary property of a lunar boy who is eight years old and he's horrible. The worst child ever. She wants to wring his neck like a chicken. So this lunar boy, his name is Master Charlson. She has to call him Master. And he's been torturing her for days. And Scarlet thinks that if the whole Lunar Society is like this, they're completely doomed. And Cinder might as well just let themselves let them destroy themselves and move on. How do you feel about this? We haven't seen Scarlet very much in this book at all. We finally get to catch up with her and she's the property of this eight-year-old boy. I completely feel for her in this situation because of like how well it's described. Our wonderful author just so vividly puts in how she's literally chained to the floor. She can't go anywhere. Like there's all these things around her that show this kid is so spoiled. And like, it's just kind of heart dropping and jaw dropping. And you feel really bad for her. If you're like reading it, for the first time or for the 40th time, you just sit there going, oh my gosh, this poor child. Somebody rescue her. Wolf, where are you? <laughs> I also think it's a good reminder of like who Scarlet is as a person because Scarlet, she's like, I mean, all of our protagonists are strong females, but she's the strongest um, in terms of like self-advocating like just sheer toughness. She has no problem going headfirst into things. She probably should think a little bit more before she goes headfirst into things, if anything. And, you know, here we see her in the most vulnerable possible state. And even now she's still trying to be defiant. She's, she's stinging. She closes her eyes so hard. She's trying to keep from eye contact and she's trying to keep from crying. And we get this inner monologue about how she's been his like, test subject pet for seven days and so he's been torturing her straight for an entire week and how this happened is that she doesn't really know if it's like favoritism or if she was purchased but she is currently the property of the venerable Anatel and his family and master charleston is still learning to use his lunar gift so he's been practicing on scarlet we already know that earthens are supposed to be like great for practice because Cinder is constantly saying how easy it is to control the earthens. But this is somewhat strange that it's like common for lunars to practice on earthens because there aren't supposed to be any earthens around. Like there's supposed to be travel banned between Earth and Luna. So how do they ever get earthens to practice on? One thing that I was thinking about on that after like reading through the notes and stuff. If Crest had been blocking all the people that had been fleeing to Earth, what was to stop her from being ordered to protect those people going back with Earthens and stuff? So maybe, like, if she does, like, a spinoff series or something, maybe we'd find out if there were more Earthens around. More than we originally were led to believe, yeah. That's a good point. Definitely a curious thing. I appreciate the inclusion that she's chained to a collar that's bolted to the floor in his playroom. Um, and the only reason I appreciate that is because otherwise our girl would just be fighting to the nail trying to get out of the room. But it also displays a characteristic of these lunars. Like 
we as humans know that you're not even supposed to change animals, okay? Let alone humans. She's not his pet in the sense that, like, she's living in their home. She's his pet, as in she's a toy in his playroom, surrounded by, like, broken electronics and virtual reality machines and all kinds of stuff. His practice sessions were agony. Since she'd come to the Anatel household, Scarlett had had long-legged spiders crawl up her nose. Snakes as long as her arm wriggle their way through her belly button and wind their bodies around her spine. Centipedes burrow into her ear canals and creep around the inside of her skull before emerging on her tongue. Scarlett had screamed. She had thrashed. She had gouged her own fingernails into her stomach and blown her nose until it bled in an effort to get the trespassers out. And all the while, Master Charleston had laughed and laughed and laughed. So this is quite a bit more insight into the lunar gift. His, he's sort of playing mind games with her and making her think that she sees and feels things. Yeah, going back to the, she doesn't know if um, the people are really great friends of Lavana or if she was bought or whatever. Mm-hmm. One of the notes that I wrote down was, he's so twisted, what were his parents like? Absolutely. What were the people around them like? Because, like, you know, that that's not your go-to when you get a toy to play with, right? Like, it makes you wonder, has anyone done this to him? Has perhaps he and his friends do this to each other? Has he seen other lunars and aristocrats do this to earthens or do this to people that they consider lesser than them? Um, you know, is this a is this a typical thing where lunars torture each other as a practice of their gift? Definitely not a good insight into the lunar society. Maybe it's a noble thing. Maybe there's, maybe it's across the entire society. Who knows? She knows that it's all in her head, but she still can't seem to rationale. She can't overcome this. She just hates him. And she hates that she's afraid of him more than anything. And it suddenly stops. The boy starts throwing a temper tantrum and runs off. And right when Scarlet starts to relax and push up her hood, the thaumaturge arrives. And we get a little transition here. Now we're we're moving on. We're moving to a different location. We're in the throne room with Sybil and the the beautiful queen. Lavana is commenting on how Sybil failed to get the cyborg. I love this. I love that Lavana is still like, hmm, Sybil, you disappoint me. She knows how to get under everybody's skin. That she can find weaknesses so fast. And she knows that, like, this is an issue for Sybil. The fact that she failed is an issue for Sybil. And she wasn't just yeah. like, oh, the, she wasn't just like, oh, were you failed? She says, the battle in which you failed to either eradicate or apprehend the cyborg. Like, you didn't kill her. You didn't capture her. Just a reminder, that's what we're talking about, right? So Sybil's in a new coat, but you can still tell that she has an injury because of the way that she moves. And they can't track the Rampion anymore because Cress is gone. Cress was their way of tracking everything, and they can't track anything without her, which makes me so proud of Cress and so happy that she's not on their side anymore. This is a little bit of an Easter egg hatch. 
Cinder and Wolf were terrified that they would interrogate Scarlet for information. And Cinder even said they won't kill her because they're going to interrogate her for information. Um, and this is what we unfortunately get to witness is that they are, in fact, going to interrogate her for information and torture her in an attempt to find out what's going on. What did you think of the Scarlet's description of Lavana? I love how um, she like points out that literally everybody back in old days would fight for a person like this, but she's so despicable and horrible that Kai has to sit there and fight against having to marry her. Yeah, and it, it reminds me of the first time that Kai saw Lavana, and the first time we as the reader saw Lavana, and that her her beauty was almost overwhelming in its in its completeness. I wondered what that is. If you don't have any mirrors to see it, mm-hmm. how do you know how beautiful, quote unquote, you are? It's just I I assume it's just the power of their imagination and the immensity of their gift. Because even if they had a mirror, they supposedly wouldn't be able to see what their gift represents or what it looks like. It's it's very strange. Um, so I'm not entirely sure. Because at least if you're using like, I don't know, what's a good example? Polyjuice Potion from Harry Potter. Like if you were using Polyjuice Potion when you looked in the mirror, you would see the person that you're impersonating and so you would know that that's what you look like right it's almost like worse than the old school vampires where they couldn't look in a mirror and see nothing with this especially with Lavana, she if she saw herself in a mirror would see that horrifying not so beautiful version of herself that she's trying to escape Mm-hmm, absolutely. And like with Lavana, we as the reader don't know why she hides her appearance. So we don't know what, what she's hiding under there. All we know is that when Cinder saw her at the ball, she said, stars, it is an illusion. You're not beautiful at all. But we don't really know what that is. We don't know what makes her unbeautiful. Hi, this is Leah Stuhler, creator and host of YA Book Chat Podcast. If you love reading young adult books and chatting about them with your friends, then head on over to my podcast and take a listen. Each episode, my guests and I chat about a different YA book. We start spoiler-free and then head into our spoiler section where we dive into the mysteries of each book. And we do it with laughs and fun along the way. You can listen to YA Book Chat on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and wherever you get your podcast and now back to the show so there's no restraints you don't need them in this room with the queen and 10 thaumaturges is that really necessary 50 lunars and 10 thaumaturges and the queen is that i think that's a bit of an overkill for one tiny earthen especially one that's been beat up for a week straight and Probably not well-fed or taken care of in that process. Like, I doubt she's gotten good sleep and a decent meal. So there's 50 Lunars there as well, but she doesn't know who they are. She doesn't know if they're jurors or media or aristocrats. All she knew was that they looked ridiculous. Clothing that twinkled and glowed 
and floated and glowed, faces painted to look like solar systems and rainbow prisms and wild animals, brightly colored hair that curled and wisped, defying gravity in order to create massive, elaborate structures. Some of the wigs even housed caged songbirds, though they were remarkably quiet. With that thought, it occurred to Scarlet that all these were probably glamours that she was looking at. These lunars could be wearing potato sacks for all she knew. <laughs> so I don't know about you, but of course, the first thing that comes to my mind when I see and read all of that is the Hunger Games people in the Capitol. As soon as I read it, I was just like, oh, Effie would fit in so well. <laughs> she Actually, so she'd would. probably be plain. <laughs> yep, absolutely. She would She would be very under underwhelming in comparison to all of these what do you think about this this writing choice that marissa chose to make these people not just um you know well-dressed and groomed and pretty but to make them like extravagant to the point of kind of idiosyncrasy my biggest thought is what in the world brought on those fashion choices and then Mm -hmm. like (laughs) i know we have some pretty strange fashion i know the runways have some really strange fashion Yeah, but for sure. They've been so isolated that how do half of them even know what songbirds look like, what butterflies look like, rainbows doing whatever? Like, how do they know? Like, do they have it all just downloaded in their systems on their computers or do they do they escape more? Like going back to the thing with Crest, like, how is it going on? Do they go to Earth more than we realize? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I suppose it could also be like what Cress had where she was able to watch net dramas from Earthen news feeds. And so she saw certain aspects of Earthen culture and society and the world itself. But uh, I would think Levana like, has that locked down. That, oh, that's a good point. Because I, I know that like Cress mentioned before that she could watch Lunar net dramas but they aren't usually visually recorded because you can't manipulate the audience with visual recordings so um yeah i i suppose the my main question is like why animals why is the why the fascination with like elaborate structures like not just an interesting outfit or a wild and crazy outfit but elaborate structures and caged songbirds in someone's hair like that just seems excessive to me faces painted like wild animals and prisms because their city is kind of described fairly one color like monotone type thing just Mm -hmm. because it's all moon rocks and stuff so i wonder if they have to be the color to be brought into the city that's a good point everything around them is like drab and monotonous and so to bring in that that eccentricness that splash of color they do it with their appearances that makes sense i think we do that too right like i mean we've seen some pretty impressive makeup tutorial videos and where people make themselves look like celebrities or um animated players yes and and like people using um different colors on their eyeshadow to make like rainbows or or color thematic rose or something. So I suppose we're not we're not too far off from these extravagant glamours slash outfits, but it, it just it seems like another level of like these lunars are more 
than Earth. The fact that since most of it's probably glamour, you don't have to worry about gravity pulling your hair down or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good point. You're never going to lose this luscious volume when it's not real anyways. <laughs> exactly. Man, I'd kill for that now that I think about it. I, I mean, it would be great when I have a really bad hair day, right? Or like right now, yeah. I, have a, I, have, I broke out on my face a little bit from wearing a mask too long the other day. So it would mm. be perfect for that. <laughs> Security cameras aren't going to get looked at anyway. So let's go. True story. <laughs> So Sybil begins the interrogation and starts with how long she's been a part of Cinder's rebellion. So I like that, like, they're acknowledging that Lynn Cinder has a rebellion. This is not how long have you been with Cinder as the fugitive? How long have you been with the cyborg? She literally says, how long had you been a part of Lynn Cinder's rebellion prior to your capture? So they're acknowledging that Lynn Cinder has started a rebellion what did you think of that revelation i didn't really think about it honestly until i read through the notes and i was just like oh yeah that that's definitely a good verbiage like there's a distinction and then it kind of just brought into focus this read through that lavana is very focused on this and she's keeping it from the aristocrats and stuff so I kind of sit there and I wonder, like, it says here and there, oh, they twittered, they laughed, they did this, they did that, whatever. But it makes you kind of wonder what they were thinking about, like, her fixation on this one cyborg. Why is she going after her type thing? Yeah, because now we're getting the reveal that it's bigger than just this one lunar who escaped. So Scarlet considers not saying anything at all because they're going to kill her anyways. And she she knows that. She knows they're going to kill her. She feels her mortality closing in on her. She knows that there's no reason for them to keep her. She can see blood stains on the throne room floor that lead out to a huge window with a ledge that seems like a convenient way to dispose of bodies. That's interesting. So in this throne room, the floor, which should be easily able to clean even with blood, is covered in blood stains, which says to me that they are there, left there intentionally to intimidate whoever's there on trial, right? I wrote down theatrics because Lavana seems to love having an audience. She loves making a scene. Every time you see her, she's making a scene, whether it's just quieting down the people the first time that she's seen on earth or at the ball where she's just like, Oh, Hey, look at this child type thing. She's has this very theatrical approach to things. Yeah. I love that word for it. Theatrical. She's very like melodramatic and needs the attention, not just on her, but like on what she's doing. And um, this is definitely, she's in her element here. This is her element, this throne room where she's sitting on the throne and she's got all these crazy, elaborately dressed lunars just gawking at whatever is happening. And she's in charge of these like 10 different thaumaturges when you know she doesn't even need one of them. And the bloodstains, they just add to that terror. Plus, it's no longer monochrome at that point. Very true. There's at least something. There's a splash of color somewhere. 
Well, that was pretty dark, Kristen. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I have those moments. I'm sorry. <laughs> Don't be sorry. It's true. <laughs> so Scarlett decides, all right, fine. Let's let's talk. And she pretty much stares at Queen Lavana the whole time she talks, just waiting for a reaction. She's like, I joined the night. All your little wolf people attacked my grandma and killed her. No reaction. Do you know who she was? Do you know who I am? And Sybil is like, is it relevant? How is it not relevant? Like, on Earth, at least it's relevant to know the identity of the person on trial. But on Luna, apparently it doesn't matter who you are. We just need to know, like, what did you have to do with Cinder? Because they could force them to say anything on their own, so. Yeah. It's like, who cares about that? The queen has no reaction. Sybil and Lavana both seem super bored. But Scarlet is determined. Michelle Benoit, 28 years in the military. She got a medal for her mission to Luna. Now we've got the queen's attention. And then a man showed up years later with an interesting parcel. Now we see her slightly, we see Lavana's eyes narrow. A girl, almost dead, but not quite. And then I wrote in my notes, pause for impact. Because Scarlet takes a very long pause after saying that. And we get a puckering around the lips from Queen Lavana. And says, Scarlet says that her grandmother kept her hidden and alive. And that was the night she joined Cinder, the true, nope, can't say it. Can't finish speaking. I love that it like sits there and it pauses and says that her lips or her tongue froze and her jaws and throat were icing over. Like that's kind of almost like a foreshadowing of talking about winter, which that makes me super happy. I was just thinking the name because winter. Yeah, froze and ice word association. And then we see winter, but we don't we don't know. We don't we're not given her name. But we found out a couple chapters ago that Jacin serves his princess, Princess Winter, the queen's stepdaughter, and that Cinder had no idea there was another princess. And this is her. This is the other princess. But we we don't get a lot of information about her just yet. Um, I love that even after her tongue froze and everything – her lips still managed a smug smile. That's our girl. That's Scarlet right there. And she said that she was able to say more than she thought Lavana would allow. I'm not going to lie. She said way more than I thought Lavana would allow her to. Same. Like, I didn't think Lavana would let her say anything. Right? Neither would I. And I love how, like, immediately Sybil's just like, oh, do you want me to question her in private? And it's just like, if it were anybody else, if it were any earthen leader that that was, they probably would have just undermined their leader's authority by that question, but she's able to play it off so well. Yeah, absolutely. And I love the part where Sybil goes pale. Like, you can see the horror in what just happened. The queen has a lyrical and calm voice. That won't be necessary. You may continue with your question, Sybil. However... We are scheduled to depart to Earth tonight, and I would hate to be delayed. Perhaps your prisoner could use a bit more motivation to stay focused on the answers we're interested in. 
Well, what motivation do they have? It's Luna. It wouldn't be a lunar motivation if it didn't come with a giant hatchet and a huge, large block of ebony wood covered in carvings of people being tortured, basically. One of the things that I noticed with that is it literally says that the audience perks up. Yeah. How disgusting is that? Because now they know that, like, more is going to happen than just chit-chat. But not only that, like, they're excited to see bloodshed. Like, it's a beautiful chopping block that they describe. Like, absolutely amazing. Um, On the platform was a large block of ebony wood intricately carved on all sides with scores of people prostrating themselves before a man in long flowing robes who wore a crescent moon as if it were a crown. On top of the block, set amid a hun- hundreds of hatch marks, was a silver hatchet. Very disturbing design on this giant torture platform. And again, it reminds me of Harry Potter, the fountain in Harry Potter, where it had like house elves and goblins and muggles. I don't know if you've read Harry Potter. Oh, I've definitely read it. I'm okay. kind of addicted to it. <laughs> I never thought about that, though. That's very true. Yeah. I just thought it was interesting that it's like a man with a crescent moon crown. That it's just like, who was that? Why was that? Is that supposed to be Luna instead of being a female deity-esque like in um, mythology? Or is that their first monarch? Or who is that? Why is that? Like, I want to know. Well, I also want to know how old is this? Is this like from the first king? And so it's been around for decades. Because if this were something Lavana created herself, that wouldn't be a man in long flowing robes. It would be some version of Lavana, right? Unless it was supposed to be like a throwback to the first king or whatever, in which case it would make sense. That makes sense, yeah. It also says that it's the hatchet is set amid hundreds of hatch marks. So how frequently I, is this I, being I, used? Yeah, I could, I could definitely see hundreds of hatch marks being just from Lavana's reign because she's that terrifying. Violent and evil and all the other good adjectives. Yeah, absolutely. So Scarlet gets taken to the platform and while she's trying to stifle her fear, they start asking her where Cinder is. And this is a very dramatic and intense scene. So, of course, in my brain, like, there's a lot of intense, like, violin music in the background and, like, quick scene um, transitions and stuff. I always wondered about the uh, next line after what I read, how it says that she's pulled to her feet by two guards. Why did they need guards to do it? Was it just for the effect or... Did they want to be lazy with their gift or why did they have to pull this poor child up on her feet when they could have just glamoured her over to it? Perhaps because it's more dramatic to physically drag her against her will onto this platform. Like perhaps they were hoping she would try to fight back kicking and screaming and then they could mock her for that. Do you think that that's a a possibility or... With Lavana, anything's possible. <laughs> Very true. 
So Sybil asks her where Cinder is. Scarlet says, I don't know. Bam, grabs the hatchet against her will. Sybil asks again. She says, I don't know. Her And she says, Sybil says, speculate. You hung out with her for a few days. You, sh- sh- you guys got to know each other. Where would she go? Scarlet says, I got no idea. Her hand slams onto the wood with her fingers completely splayed out, like ready to go. The hatchet is hanging in midair above said hand. This is so intense. Scarlet jumps because Sybil Mirror comes up behind her and whispers in her ear, which finger do you value the least? Like, it's so well written. I can feel the fear, the determination, Sybil and Levana's fury and frustration, the audience just like hanging on their every word. It's just so well written. So Scarlet's there. She's trying not to be afraid. She says, they can't fly without a pilot. So they would have crashed. Well, there's a problem with that. They have a pilot. So where would they go? And she says, I don't know. Ask him. And this is the worst part. The smallest finger then? They didn't give her very long before they were like, well, we'll just start chopping stuff off. And I love how they automatically assume that Cinder would willingly resort to using her gift instead of just talking to the guy. She, they automatically assume that she's the same as all of them. Yeah, that's a good point because it says, like, let's assume that um, that she uh, would have glamored them, that she, my guard was an accomplished pilot and he was quite alive when we abandoned the ship. Assume that Lynn Cinder brainwashed him into piloting the ship for her. So they assumed that in order for Cinder to get Jacinth to fly the ship, she would have had to control him. They didn't know that he was acting of his own accord. But what's interesting about this is that earlier, when Sybil came to Cress's satellite, remember, Cress said she had to pretend that Cinder didn't have a gift because Sybil liked to keep up the pretense that she was a shell. And now... For whatever reason, her and Lavana aren't keeping up that pretense anymore. So what changed? Their frustration levels? Yeah, they're definitely in a different position now. For sure, they're in a different position now. And they're also in a position now where, like, obviously something there's something bigger to her than just being a cyborg and, and a lunar, and a lunar shell at that. Because why on earth would she care this much about a random lunar shell? Yeah. It makes no sense. To prove a point, to make an example of, like, it's she's going too far with it. She's playing her, she's giving away her hand. Going back to that, like, focus that I was talking about a moment, a moment ago. Like, she's so wholeheartedly focused on her that she's kind of losing sight of everything else. Absolutely. Or at least that's what it seems to me. Yeah, absolutely. So before Scarlet... Scarlet's knees give out, but before she can chop off her finger, a voice says, spoken very softly, my queen. I love the way her voice is described because, again, Harry Potter, it reminds me of Luna, Luna Lovegood, and we're on Luna. So that's my little joke. (laughs) I like it. It's a good one. (laughs) 
the princess asks, may I have her? She would make a lovely pet. So again, we have this concept that earthens are our pets. Again, how are they pets if they're not allowed on Luna? There's just there's some kind of hole there. There's something we're missing, right? Definitely. And I kind of like how it also like sits there saying um, she must be easy to control. Like we already learned that young Master Charleston was only like eight or nine. Mm-hmm. And just based on the way that it's described throughout the series, whenever they do mention winter, it's very obvious she's not. She's at least teenager years, though it hasn't given us yet, I believe, anything telling us her exact age. But actually, I think in Cinder, I think Kai mentions that she's like 18. Because in Cinder, he's like frustrated that he has to have a marriage alliance with Ivana and him and Torin are talking. And he says, he says to Torin, can't I just marry the princess? And Torin is like, no. They have this superstition about the royal bloodline and the princess is a stepdaughter. So we know that she's a much better appropriate age, at least, because he didn't want to marry Lavana. So after she asks if she can have her and that she would be a lovely pet, you, we all get to see that Lavana is more than a little mad right now. Um, she's not happy that she was interrupted so she says sounding not at all pleased at the interruption you may have her when we are done with her and so then saying again towards the pet and the humans aren't supposed to be on luna problem um it says that winter says but then she'll be broken they're never any fun when you give them to me broken so how Again, many has she gotten them before and now she knows that they aren't fun to play with when they're broken? Like what is them referring to? Or does it mean that they misuse their own people so much that them could include anything able to be manipulated? Because I wouldn't put it past Lavana to do that. Yeah, that's a good point. I wouldn't put it past her either. But I kind of love the little um, shot that Winter puts in there after she says no. Um, she says, father would have given her to me, which it just kind of quiets the whole room right there. Just automatic silence. Like, Ooh, crap. What's Lavana going to do now? Yeah. Cause also like, again, we don't know a lot about this princess. All we know is that she's the stepdaughter daughter of the prince or of Queen Lavana. So that means that at some point Queen Lavana was married, right? So who was she married to? Why is she not married to that person anymore? Did that person leave her? Did they die? Like we don't really know. And of course with the fact that there's rumors. Right. I think there was a rumor that she killed her husband, right? I can't remember the exact wording of what Kai says the rumor was, but there's definitely rumors about her. There's definitely rumors about pretty much every aspect of her life from what I can see, just because she's this gorgeous, beautiful person that is so horrendous. And other than that, you really don't know much about her. 
Yeah. And I did find the page I was looking for. <laughs> I know these books so well. So page 43 of Cinder. They said she'd murdered her older sister, Queen Channery, so she could take the throne from her. And these are the rumors that Earthens have heard about Lavana. They said she'd had her own husband killed, too, so she would be free to make a more advantageous marriage. They said she had forced her stepdaughter to mutilate her fa- her own face because at the sweet age of 13, she had become more beautiful than the jealous queen could stand. So this girl, this princess, this stepdaughter has a mutilated face. Well, what does that look like? On Luna, where you can cover your face, where you can look however you want to. Winter asks, or Winter gives that little jab about father would have given her to me. Oh, Lavana's mad. It says that she responds harshly. I said that you may have her and you may. Oh, and then she like does this whole little spiel about how if you don't follow through with your threats as a royal, there's going to be anarchy. There's going to be all these complications and stuff. And yeah. it's just such a good paragraph. She thinking to her like a like um like an ill-fitted child almost, right? And I love the the way that she says it. She's doing like the almost the royal we kind of going on, going for like old school thing there, um, like. She doesn't say, I have to do this or um, anything along the first person pronouns. She does. uh, She says that when a queen threatens something for someone who has wronged her, she must. So it's not even that she has to do it. She kind of is throwing it on her entire line. Every other royal in the entirety of existence type thing. She's Which, also sort of blaming it on her. It's her job to do it. Like, it's not like I want to do this. I'm a queen. I have to do this. These are the consequences if I don't do this. Yeah. Good point. So I did find the other page we were talking about. Page 253 of Cinder, where they talk about the stepdaughter. Um, and what we find out is Princess Winter was of another mother and her father was a mere palace guard. She has no royal blood. Politically, perhaps they would honor a marriage alliance through her, but it does not change the fact that Queen Lavana is in the difficult position of needing to marry and produce an heir that will continue the bloodline. So the Lunars would never have Princess Winter as a queen because they have to have an heir that has the royal bloodline, as in from Lavana. Because of all the superstitions that they already covered. Yeah. So we don't know her exact age, but yes, we're given the implication that she's she's this age. She's Kai is in Scarlet's and Cinder. She's a teenager of some kind, or maybe she's as old as Thorn, who's in his who's twenty. But I, I love the moment where at the end where she says princess and Scarlet is like, Princess, who dat? What princess? Dizzy with fear, with nausea, with hunger. Scarlet managed to raise her head. The queen was looking at someone seated beside her, but the world was blurring and Scarlet couldn't see who it was. She heard her, though. She heard her. She heard the word princess. So something in Scarlet's brain is registering why, who's this princess? This, for us as the reader, this is another layer of that 
who this princess is to, to Luna and to Lavana. Yeah. When we really didn't have any reason to think or care about her until that reveal that Jacin doesn't serve when when Jacin said he served his real princess, he wasn't talking about Cinder, he was talking about Winter. So very interesting. So the chapter ends with the princess saying no. She doesn't want anarchy. Lavana turned back to Sybil and nodded. Scarlet didn't have a moment to prepare herself before the hatchet dropped. So Scarlet just chopped something off of her hand. Based on Sybil's question. For Sybil's question. And that is the end of chapter 42. That is also the end of book three. Next week, we will start book four of Cress. How are you feeling after our dramatic chapter with Scarlet, who we've barely gotten to see at all in this whole book? kind of feel a bit like wolf just because i'm just like this is my child where in the heck is she like what's gonna happen i love her where's my girl absolutely so what was your song title for chapter 42 um my thought was the kids aren't all right by fallout boy because it really describes the kids in the situation in the entirety of luna how they're really not all right they're not. They're not being raised in a healthy, sustainable environment. I completely agree. And that's like one of my favorite Fall Out Boy songs. It's amazing. So I chose Fall in Line by Christina Aguilera and Demi Lovato because I love that Scarlett is trying to be as defiant as possible. She was not made to fall in line and she will do whatever she can to rise up, to overcome, to fight back even in these small ways of being able to to smugly smile, of being able to say what she wants to say, of being able to reveal that she knows the truth about Cinder, and that's where her loyalties lie. I love that. And I think it's important that it's Scarlet. I think it's important that it's Scarlet who's taken and and the one that's held hostage and, and tortured, because I think that, I, like we said, all of these protagonists are strong and have strengths in different ways, but I think Scarlet is the one who has the psyche that could handle it the best and still come out the other side stronger. I think if anybody else had done it, it it wouldn't have the same impact for all of the characters that are not there also, because she's kind of the glue that holds the Rampion crew together. Like, everyone else is good with everybody else. But they're great when she's around. We also have Wolf. Like we have, we're seeing the story in in Wolf's eyes, so to speak, because we see the toll that it takes on him. So we're constantly reminded that she's gone and how detrimental that is for his well-being and his just sense of self and, and survival even. Always makes me want to go cradle a can of tomatoes. <laughs> well said. So what was your chapter 42 quote? Um, my favorite quote in that entire thing is when they're describing the glamours and all the people who have all these crazy outfits and stuff. My favorite line is right after when it says, with that thought, it occurred to Scarlett that these were all probably glamours that she was looking at. These lunars could be wearing potato sacks for all she knew. And it kind of just makes me laugh because then I kind of think of back to when Marilyn Monroe was told that she's only pretty because of her clothes or whatever. And then she went and wore a potato sack. And these people are literally the opposite. (laughs) I did not think of that. She looked really good, too. And I'm just like, man, I wish I could look like that. 
That is a good callback. I didn't even think of that coming coming at us with the uh, popular icon here. <laughs> I love <Yes>. it. <laughs> so I chose her tongue froze, her jaws and throat icing over, but her lips still managed a smug smile. She'd already said more than she thought Lavana would allow, and the fury in the queen's eyes made it all worthwhile. Love Scarlet. Love how strong she is. Love her strength in this moment when she gets to bask in the glow that she made the queen squirm just a little. And I love that she rides that high and that that gives her just a little bit more strength as the the session, the torture session goes on. So that is it for chapter 42. This was your first time doing um, an episode. Did you did you have fun? Did you enjoy it? I enjoyed it a lot. Yeah. Good. So this week there were no bonus words, but there was one Easter egg. Um, next week we're going to cover chapters 43 just by itself. There's a lot going on. Um, Kristen, where can people find you on social media if they would like to do so? Mostly only on my Instagram, which is Chris Lucy with an I, not a Y, sell, like you're selling something. Nice. Well, last names. (laughs) They happen. I mean, my last name is Finger. I totally get it. (laughs) (laughs) Listeners, please go check out Kristen on Instagram. Rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Follow the podcast on Instagram so you can check out all that beautiful fan art. Check out Patreon for a chance to be a guest on an episode and more fun perks. And until next time, don't get glamored. Don't get glamored. (laughs) Bye. Bye. The passages read for you today were from Crest by Marissa Meyer and Cinder by Marissa Meyer. This podcast is hosted by Bethany Finger. Today's special guest was Rampian crew member Kristen. The intro-outro music was composed by Emma Pavo, and the logo art was created by Angela Wong. Thank you for listening.